Why are you attempting to secure something? Why does this not work the way that I think it should? What it is that they need that can consume intelligence? You really need to know some programming language pretty well. Security is the feeling, right? Destructive power that has to be your organization. This is Hack Chat, where red and blue teams unite. Welcome to Hack Chat. My name is Marco Figueroa. Today, I have one of my best friends in the whole world. He is very near and dear to my heart. For the last 10 years, I've known him. We've worked together in two separate instances. And like I said, this is a treat for me, and it's going to be a treat for you. There's a lot of nuggets you're going to pull out of this. And I hope you take it away, you learn from it, and you go back and and you do some of the things that he says because your life will change. Ronald Eddings, come on in. Here you go. You have the platform. Introduce yourself, sir. I appreciate it. And, you know, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Ronald Eddings. Typically go by Ron. Feel free to call me either. But, uh, you know, I've spent the my entire career being a son of cybersecurity. Right now, I'm a security architect and also podcast host of the Hacker Valley Studio. Um, where should I begin, or or is that good? Yeah, that's definitely good. I I, I really want to go straight into it. We've known each other a long time, and I've seen your growth and what you have done over the past 10, 12 years. What are some of the m- most important things that have propelled you in your career? Some of the most important things is the communication the connections that I've built over the years, the the networks that I found myself in. Um, for example, the fact that you and I met, like you were saying, 10 years ago, you took me under your wing as a mentor. You gave me great recommendations. You stayed on top of me to grow and, you know, come through on the things that I said I wanted to do. And that made me such a better person. I've had other mentors also similar connections through you and I um, that have helped mentor me and help push me to the place where I want to be. And really just taking the right opportunities also has been a great motivation and a great success throughout my career. Finding yourself in a job that doesn't fuel you, finding yourself working in a position that, you know, isn't going to help you grow is the quickest way to let, you know, parts of your career die. So I've Mm. found Building my network and just taking the right opportunities has been the the biggest keys to success for me personally. You you mentioned mentors. For me, mentors in this game has helped me. I, I can't even tell you the number of mentors that I've had, and I stay in touch with most of them. What would you say, what has one or two or three mentors done for you that has shortened your way to that career growth where you're at now? Having a mentor is a lot like reading a book, but you have even more shortcuts that you can take. When you read a book, you get the wisdom and the the lessons that someone has taken. It might've taken them 20 years to learn everything that they write in a 200 page book. And if you read that, you get a shortcut. But when you have a mentor, especially a mentor that has written a book or a mentor that has provided feedback to a book, you get to take all of those years of wisdom 
and you know use those shortcuts and then get the direct feedback for how it applies to you. So for me, uh, one of the my favorite books is uh, Managing Oneself by Peter F. Drucker. It's a Harvard Business Review book. And in this book, he talks about types of learning, like how can you learn? Some people are readers, some people are listeners, and some people are talkers. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned through reading books and also by getting mentorship is my preferred way to learn is by watching. So I love watching videos. I love learning through listening. But when I really combine listening and seeing, that's really where the pinnacle of my learning begins and ends. Like I can learn so much faster when I'm watching something, listening and visualizing it. Nice. You've had the opportunity to see many organizations from your prior job. I know you've moved on, but while being a solutions architect for automation product, what would you say is one of the biggest problems organizations face when dealing with security and securing their networks as well as just, you know, putting the best practices forward? The biggest challenge that I've run into with organizations is understanding the use case. A lot of the times when you when you're looking at securing your organization, you might look at a product or you might look at features, but really understanding it, understanding what is your use case? Why are you attempting to secure something? What does that mean to you? Will help you build a strategy and select the right tools, the right automations, or the right strategy for implementation. So one of the Mm. stories that I can share is a lot of the times when I work with banks, they have very specific requirements that they need to hit from a compliance uh, point of view. And they'll look at products or, you know, uh, features within products that check these check boxes off. But after about two years, they have more standards that they need to meet from a compliance perspective. And if you haven't really defined that use case, you, you're, you might have to select a different product after about two years. You might have to go with a new solution. But if you understood your use case and thought about securing the data and how am I going to do this? What kind of people and processes do I need? You can pick a solution. You might be able to pick a tool or build one yourself that can stand the test of times and grow with the compliance needs as they also evolve. Mm. That's very interesting. Uh, From your experience, what are some of those best security practices you've worked on where you were impressed? What made you open your eyes and just say, wow, this is this is interesting the way they have their setup, their their network secured. A few things that I've been impressed with are DevOps strategies. Mm reducing the amount of infrastructure that you have to maintain through code. It's been really impressive to see organizations when they can spin something up using something like Kubernetes, Docker, AWS, CloudFormation, any type of uh, CICD pipeline to stand up your infrastructure and to make it make it not so on-prem. So Mm. traditionally we would have our servers managed by us and that serves its purpose for some organizations. But if you don't have the talent to manage servers and also secure them, then you might run into problems in the future. So 
uh, the organizations that I've seen that are able to scale uh, without just hiring more people have uh, serverless architectures. Nice. When you were helping organizations create like playbooks, what were some of those challenges you faced, you know, while helping big or small, medium sized companies? Was it like skill set shortage? What was it? I think it goes back to the use case again. Um, A lot of the time when I would help organizations with playbooks or building out automations, you have a point to where you're starting. You're starting from maybe an alert or an action or some type of trigger. And once that trigger occurs, you have to ask your tool, your automation, or your people, what do you want to do next? And going through that process and saying, if this happens, then I want to do this. And then if this happens, then I want to do that. Using the output from one task as input for another is decision making. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times I haven't, I I didn't work with organizations that had their decisions well-defined and had what they wanted to do well-defined. And that really hindered and slowed down the playbook creation process. Hmm. Did you see any talent shortage as well? Like skill sets where, you know, you like, Hey, you have that one person that's doing all the work and you guys got to spread out, you know, the work was, was, what was some other challenges that you face when you're trying to pitch companies on, on to do certain things? Because your experience, with your experience, I mean, all they have to do is call you up and ask you, hey, hook this up, let us know, and you will set them up with an environment where they could thrive in. But I know from experience and talking to you, not all companies uh, listen to you or, or they don't want to go down that route. How do you convince companies to go ahead and, and listen to you and have that trust? When you have the budget to hire a vendor or hire a consultant, then, you know, you can reduce the the skill gap. You can reduce the technical gaps that may occur. You can ask your vendor for training. You could probably go to webinars and understand how other organizations and customers are performing a task. Mm. And now that security has really grown, you can do that with the community too. So there's many Slack channels that one can join to get the skill sets that they don't have. Uh, A lot of Slack channels are even introducing something called donut time, which pairs you with a random person from that Slack workspace. So there's a lot of ways that one organization can start to really enable their, their team members to get the training that they need from vendors or uh, practitioners within the community. But for me, when I had to convince organizations to follow best practices, you know, being from a vendor, uh, we would understand what are the, what are the gaps of our product? What are the gaps of uh, building automated workflows? Uh, I would have to help them define their use cases. A lot of the times Mm -hmm. it would be through documentation. I would go through an exercise where I would ask them, Hey, you know, what is the purpose of all of this? Why are you doing this? What is this going to solve for your organization? And I would take those nuggets and then put it in a document for my customers or for uh, whoever I'm collaborating with and then present that to them. So there's just essentially less work that they have to do because mapping out a workflow is pretty difficult. And I think organizations, they do generally a pretty good job at mapping out 
uh, security workflow, taking an alert and uh, creating the triage steps for that alert. But doing that over and over and over again is, is a daunting task at some point, and it could be somewhat tiring. It can cause fatigue for analysts. And uh, that's something that I try to reduce as uh, a practitioner is that fatigue for whoever's creating that workflow. Mm. That is that is a nugget, folks. What would you say is the single technical skill you've developed that has changed your career completely? I always say this and I'll say it here. It's Python. Uh, learning how to program r- helps in many ways. Not only do you have the ability to create something from scratch, you can create a utility that helps you save five minutes, or you can create a full-blown product that can help save an organization time, weeks, maybe even months. Um, but when you learn how to program, you have to learn procedures. You mm. have to learn logic and yes, workflows. Sir. Yep. So understanding logic is critical, especially for security, because event happens. Let's say you have an alert that was triggered from your DLP solution. You have to be able to think through logically. What do you want to do with that information from this DLP alert? Do you want to enrich it using SAML or AD? Do you want to uh, send that user a Slack message or DM them? on your chat service. You know, there's many things that you have to think through when it comes to security analysis. And I think programming helps you think at a bigger scale. I'm going to take you back to 2013. Um, We were working together uh, back at McAfee. And I remember when you, when you were hired, right. And the first thing you told me is like, man, I got my Python skills up. And I was like, what (laughs) really? And then you were working on some cool projects back then. And I was working on a, a separate project, uh, tracking APTs, and uh, we were using crits. And one of the things that I felt was I am waiting for, shout out to Josh Porter, Josh Porter, the developer at the time, he was going ahead and and developing some cool things. And I'm like, that's not what I wanted. I kind of wanted this, this feature first, and you're working on something else. And that forced my hand to be like, well, if you want it the way you want it, you're going to have to get your hands dirty. You can't rely on one developer or a team of developers to put your thoughts into, into the product that you want to build. Like, and, and like the time you want it in. Right. So I wanted a feature in in a week and he was like, well, we're not doing that. I'm working on something else and I'll get back to you. So it forced me to say, okay, I need to learn. I need to go ahead and, do more, right? Learn more, put in the time and really get into the weeds of, of coding Python, JavaScript, and any frameworks that, you know, they were using at the time, even, you know, they were using a lot of, a lot of elastic understanding elastic. So, you know, I I think I agree with you when I moved over here in 2016 to California, the difference between I found where I was on the East coast to California is more people developed, more people did things, created tools. And, and that was the big difference. It was the aha moment for me when I came over and and I was like, okay, I see the big difference. It's not just using tools. It's creating something from scratch, having that blank canvas so you can paint whatever you want to paint. 
So, what skills in cybersecurity don't you have right now that you want to attain in the future? I think it goes back to the things that I was impressed with is the DevOps skill set, having that uh, tool belt to be able to create full-blown pipelines to spin up infrastructure, to secure infrastructure. Uh, there's a lot of things that I don't know in that realm, uh, but I think really cybersecurity as a whole, it's, it's evolving. So what I, what I think is going to be the most helpful today might not be very relevant in the future. Uh, years ago, I was really deep into the weeds on like uh, Linux and understanding Bash and trying to understand how services worked underneath of the hood. But now since we're going to such a serverless infrastructure, you know, that might not be as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding that moving target is also important. Um, but for me right now, I think it's the DevOps, uh, having that DevOps tool belt under my belt. Got you. Take me through the process of attaining new skills. What is your process? For example, do you pick up a book on the topic or do you, you know, go in depth, create a to-do list and go through the to-do list and create and, and just knock them out one at a time? What is your process? It intrigues me. I always ask people, what is their process on learning? The, the process that I typically use for learning is watch a few videos. Like I said, I'm a visual and auditory learner. So I'll just start with seeing if there's a natural curiosity. If I hear about a topic that intrigues me, the best thing I could do is kind of just get a little bit more information about that topic and see if it's as important as I originally thought it was. If it is, then I'll start mapping out, you know, my day to include that specific, Mm. um, you know, piece of information I want to learn more about. So right now, what I'm learning more about is animation, which is unrelated to cybersecurity. But every morning I wake up and the first thing I do is just map out my day. I understand what do I have time for and what don't I have time for? There's certain things that are going to be extremely important to complete, like work, this event, talking to you. And then if there's time for it, then I'll include animation on my schedule. I'll give myself one hour to two hours, maybe even 30 minutes, but you know, just understanding where I can put that activity. There's been times where I want to learn something new. For example, I got really into Golang and you know, learned a lot, but I didn't get as far as I probably could have because I did it in such an unstructured way. I just did it here and there, and I can still code a bit in Golang, but I didn't flex that muscle and use that muscle enough to really solidify it like I have Python and JavaScript. So what I'm trying to do with the animation, you know, learnings that I'm, that I'm doing right now is, you know, build the muscle and then retain the muscle uh, by putting in enough hours into it. Yeah. By the way, you're one of the best uh, Python coders that I know. So kudos <laughs> to you. you. Um, so we talked about coding and Python and what you need or what you should be doing and taking your skills to another level by learning how to code. What is a must need skill in cybersecurity besides coding? I would say analysis. Mm. And when I say analysis, I really mean, you know, being able to solve a problem from start to finish. There's always going to be something that you don't know. And there's always going to be something that you can learn. 
So not being afraid to admit when you don't know something and to go into the depths when you need to learn something new. So for example, when I first started to learn how to code, it was difficult because I would just watch tutorials and do what the instructor said. But when you're learning how to code uh, in Python for security related reasons, you need to have a project that you're going to see from start to finish. And if you complete that project, then you're going to have the confidence to be able to tackle more. And I think it's the same for analysis. If you get a new tool and you get a new alert and you don't know how to triage that alert, it's going to be your responsibility to figure it out. Someone hired you because they believe that you have an answer that wasn't previously answered. Otherwise, they would go just get a consultant, get a tool, but the analysis mindset and then the analytic rigor is something that is going to be really important to thrive. And if you don't have that, then you might be susceptible to maybe getting a, the position that you don't want, losing your job or getting replaced by you know, a consultant that can do it part time or a tool that can do it without human intervention. Nice. You've been super successful over your career I know you don't have to program and develop uh, tools and stuff like that, but you still do. What drives you? What drives you to continue on developing? I think it's a curiosity. It's also learning things that I didn't realize I could learn about. Um, for example, uh, I'm really into building websites. Like I love building APIs, but I also love building front ends using JavaScript and I build the backend using Python and build APIs to allow other services, products, and tools to integrate with whatever I created. And it really comes down to like, how can I do this in the best way possible? How do I make my code smaller? How do I make something faster? How do I answer a problem that hasn't been answered before? Um, and I think that's what that's why most uh, builders will build a tool is because they want to push themselves or answer a question that hasn't previously been, been answered. So did you find that love back in 2016 when you were um, at Intel, we were, we were at Intel together as well. Did you find that love there when, when you were doing your daily standups? Because I, I, at the time I didn't understand that concept, but now I do. And I'm like, wow, did you find that love there of, of building and creating? Because you were doing that every day. Right. And one of the things I would say for a security architect, whoever wants to be a security architect, one of the skills that you need is project management. And when I was at Intel, one of the skills that I learned by doing the, the daily standups was project management. I learned how to manage a project that I was working on. And kind of going back to the Managing oneself book, I learned how to manage myself. I, I realized that there are so many things that I'm capable of, but there's only so many hours. And when we're doing these daily standups, I was able to break out my bigger projects and understand I can't do this all in one day like I think I can, but I can do it over the course of one month to three months, especially when you have that project manager there. Maybe you have a scrum master. We had one at Intel who really kept us accountable. She asked us three questions during each DSU. What'd you do today? What'd you do yesterday? And any help needed. <laughs> With those three that. questions, like that is all you need. Like you have <laughs> accountability, you know what you're going to do tomorrow. And if you need help, 
you have your form there. And I think it did create passion for completing projects. I think there's nothing like starting a project because you have all the excitement, but the champions exist at the completion phase. Nice. Um, Let's switch gears a moment. Everyone is on lockdown. I mean, this is, I think, the third time in California they've rolled everything back. They closed up stuff. During this time, you've stayed, you know, fit, very fit. And it's like, I would say you probably 2X yourself before, you know, COVID started. Like, what are you doing now to stay fit mentally as well as physically during this time it's it's a crazy time it's unprecedented so -hmm. what are you doing my my best thing that i could do for myself is figure out where can i be productive throughout my day some people are very productive at night some people have these large lunch lunch blocks of time where they can you know, do something that they want to do and that they enjoy. But for me, it's all about the mornings. So the earlier that I can wake up, the better. It's not like I wake up super early. I used to wake up at 4.30. I don't do that anymore. So I wake up around 5.30 or 6. And it's an opportunity for me to wake up before the house and to also wake up before my peers, my mentors. And when I get, you know, to wake up at that time, I get to focus on myself. I get to ask myself, what is the most important thing? Like learning that new skill. How can I learn this new skill if there's time for it? There's probably time for it in the morning because no one's up. And it's also an opportunity for me to exercise. So Mm. at the same block of time between 6 and 8 a.m., I get to focus on my mind and my body. I get to learn something new. I get to meditate And typically, you know, these things will take an hour. I'll take an hour to learn something. I'll take an hour to work out. And there's still an hour or 30 minutes left that I get to tinker around with, you know, just personal enjoyment, entertainment, watching videos on YouTube if I feel like it, or having a conversation with someone that, you know, I really care for. So really structuring my data get the energy and the fuel that I need to complete it is where it's at for me. What would you recommend for people, you know, that aren't active and what would you recommend for them to just start and do into something like fitness or eating well? What what would you recommend? I would say build your habits and allow your habits to build you. And when you build a habit, there might be certain uh cues or triggers that you have to present to yourself to make things happen. So if you want to work out more, then I would recommend wear workout clothes, go buy something that you feel good in. Mm, And then the first thing in the morning, put that on or whenever you want to work out, put that on or put it on at some point and set a reminder for yourself to, to kind of put yourself in that, that headspace to do something that you want to do, whether it's learning, you know, if it's learning, then I would say, set a time for it, put a book at your desk that you want to read, put it right on top of your laptop. For me, I use sticky notes. I have sticky notes everywhere. And um, when I want to do something new that I'm not used to doing yet, I'll put a sticky note right on my monitor just so I have to face it. I have to ask myself, is this something that I really want to do? If it's not, I take the sticky note off and move on to something else. But if it is, then I'll take at least five minutes 
to, you know, go down that rabbit hole and do the thing that I want to do. And for me, when I'm working out, before I leave my office at, at uh, the end of the day, I'll put my yoga mat out. Just so like by the time I come into my office in the morning, and especially if I give myself enough time, my yoga mat's there. I'm like, okay, perfect. You know, here's my opportunity to do yoga. And if I roll the mat up, it's a missed opportunity. But rest assured, at the end of the day, I'm pulling the yoga mat back out, even if I skip it for one day. Wow. I like that because one of the things that I do is like right before going to bed, have those clothes laid out like right next to me, arms reach. So there is no excuse. As soon as I wake up, I just put on those clothes and then start my day and get it in. You know, you've been saying yoga, right? How many times you do yoga a a week? I try to do it every day. Yeah. And you could do it in your house. You do it. You don't go to a studio because there's clothes. You do it in your, in your house, right? Yep. I do it right behind me. Um, when the gym was open, I would do it at the gym and, you know, just take some time. It's a little weird to do it at a gym because gyms like, you know, weightlifting gyms aren't designed for yoga, but you know, no shame, no game. No one's, what I've learned is, you know, no one's holding you accountable besides yourself. So it can feel as though doing yoga at the gym is like someone's watching me, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm aware of myself and that's what matters most. And what I would also recommend for anyone that's listening or watching, don't beat yourself up about skipping a day. Try not to do it, but if it happens, focus on what are you going to do the next day or what are you going to do on your next opportunity to get the get the most out of it. Life is all about experiences and if you can experience something with you know, uh, excitement, then it's going to be that much easier and better when you actually do it. Yeah. I think another topic when it comes to health is mental health. You know, everyone's isolated inside, um, and they're facing their own, their own demons or, or their own environment. It's, it's what you're creating every day, right? One of the things that I've learned from you is Wim Hof, right? I want to speak about Wim Hof mental health really quick. I know it's off topic, but it's really important during this time to be like mind, body, and soul. And, you know, another thing you've helped me put into practice is meditation. So I want you to go into Wim Hof because you introduced me to Wim Hof as well as meditation and what it does for you when it comes to mental health, it's really important for people to hear this. Absolutely. And I agree. Mental health is key. Your health is your wealth. There's no other monetary asset that can replace how you feel inside. Cause if you take care of that, then it was going to be easier just to live, live your life and, you know, feel in a good headspace. But uh, Wim Hof is a breathing exercise that, you know, goes into fully oxygenizing your body, taking deep breaths and uh, not show, not so deep exhalations, but deep breaths in. And what it does is one, it clears your mind, but two, um, there's some research that shows that the, it has influence over your uh, autonomic uh, nervous system. Sorry if I butchered that, but um, it, it really helps reset your body and your mind. And for meditation, there's a bunch of things that you can do. Wim Hof is one. There's other breathing exercises that someone can do like breath of fire that can also help reset your body and your mind. But 
just sitting and closing your eyes and taking a moment for yourself is, is also meditation. It doesn't have to be guided. It could just be taking a moment for yourself without distractions and setting an intention. So it could be, I'm going to sit here and try to not to have any thoughts. And if you have a thought, then that's all right. Um, but just go back into your practice. And people will say meditation practice because that's exactly what it is. You don't start good and, and become good at meditation after your first try. It takes time. The first time that I've ever meditated, it felt like five hours that I was meditating for. And it was probably around three minutes. My mind was racing, a lot of chatter in there. But over time, you know, the chatter will reside. It, it, will, it will go away. It will fade. And once the chatter fades, that's when you have the opportunity to start thinking about the things that are really going to impact you in a positive way. You know, the chatter mind, the, the big judge will probably have a lot to say about you not working out or you not focusing on your in, increasing your cybersecurity skills. But if you let the judge have his opportunity to speak, then, you know, the judge has said what he needs to say. And now you get to start thinking about what's most important. Man, what is next for Ronald Eddings? Right now, my, my biggest project, my biggest goal is to provide impact in cybersecurity, to amplify the unsung heroes, to amplify the voices that we know and love uh, over my podcasting platform, Hacker Valley Studio. We've been really doubling down on the human condition. So focusing on things that are beyond the bits and the bytes and focusing on what provides peak performance for the cybersecurity practitioner. So some of the things that we just talked about, like meditation, how do you learn? Um, how do you get better? Are some of the things that I like to focus on with people inside and outside of cybersecurity and amplify those voices. Well, Ron, thank you. I know we speak weekly. I, I appreciate you. I'm happy that you're in my life. Like I say, I look at you, even though I mentored you, you, now it feels like you mentor me a lot. You know, we have these conversations and I go to you and it's, it's good to have that relationship where there's value on both sides. It's not a one way street. And I greatly appreciate you. I know, you know, you're, you're a friend for life and I greatly appreciate that, man. I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate what you're doing, not only with just having a conversation with me, but elevating whoever's listening and watching. Hopefully they get a few nuggets out of this and, you know, uh, you're going to have more guests on. They're going to get more wisdom, more advice. And that's that's what it's all about. At the it's end of the all day. about more, 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 more. Do more. Thank you, yeah. Ron. I appreciate it. Everyone, this is what we're doing. Thank you so much for joining, Ron. I greatly appreciate it. Until the next time.